The scripture today is from Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31, and I'll be reading from the Pew Bible. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, full of sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy upon me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that you in your lifetime received good things, and Lazarus in like manner evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. May God bless the reading of his word today. I used to live in Ohio for a short stint when I was about 21 or so. Uh, I had friends that lived in Detroit, uh, and I would go visit them in Detroit. And this was in the, actually in the early 90s, and it's worse now, but it was pretty bad then in Detroit. Uh, and I would go visit, and there was this place, <clears throat> I forget what street it was, but there's a, there's a district in Detroit that is, that is plush. I mean, it's hoity-toity, it's hot, it's uptown, right? What, yeah? Gross Point, that's right. And uh, Gross Point borders one of the poorest parts of Detroit with broken down projects and uh, closed down factories and pretty ugly part of town. And we were, I remember driving through downtown Detroit, this poorest part of Detroit, broken down projects, people standing around, out of work, out of hope, out of, you know, men, women, and children standing in line at rescue missions and, and wandering around parks up to no good, and general mayhem and ugliness around and as we're driving through this and, and we cross a street into Gross Point, and the stark contrast between the two places was, was remar- so much that it, I, I gasped. I was like, what just happened? 
And, and the weird thing was I noticed, I, I noted even before we got there, that there were Rolls Royces and limos and Maseratis like driving with us. Like, like we're driving and then there's like a Rolls Royce would zip by and there went a Maserati and a limo would go by. I'm like, what are all these people doing? Going to Gross Point every day, you know. Going through this abject poverty into, I mean, gorgeous. Of course, they're probably all foreclosed on now in Gross Point. <laughs> if I were there today, it'd probably not a lot of difference between Gross Point and, and, uh, and then where, I, where I used to be. But at that time, abject poverty and ridiculous wealth right next to each other, across the street from one another, basically. <clears throat> of course, there was a large, <laughs> a lot of large fences that kept them apart. Jesus could be describing Detroit in this, in this parable today, and a lot of, in this parable, Jesus offers, which he says is, it was really directed toward the lovers of money, you know, the Jesus is always talking to the Pharisees, and he describes them as lovers of money. So this is directed towards them, and uh, describes a lot of contrasts and reversals that are happening here. You know, rich man whose name we don't know, and Lazarus, this poor man beggar whose name we do know. Rich man, you know, dressed in beautiful purple and Lazarus dressed in nasty gross sores that dogs lick you know I don't know that we needs to be so graphic but there you go and you know the rich man sat up in his in his wonderful mansion and Lazarus lied down at his gate and the rich man ate sumptuously and the poor man longed for the crumbs from his table. And the rich man died and was buried in the traditional way. And the poor man died and was carried away by angels to be to the bosom of Abraham. And then there's this reversal all of a sudden. <laughs> uh, the rich man is looking up from hell to Lazarus and Abraham. And Lazarus is looking down to the rich man. But of course, like all people of privilege, he still wants what he ha you know, still thinks he has something coming to him. Send Lazarus to come and put some water on my lips because I'm burning up down here. Oh, yeah, really? Okay, yeah, let me, let me send people to you. Lesson not learned yet. But this big reversal. Here's the rich man in Hades and the poor man who went to his reward in heaven. And Abraham says, I'm sorry, there's this large chasm between rich and poor. They were very near one another in the world. Just outside, just a wall separated them. And yet, there was a large chasm uh, between them. Financially, 
There's a large chasm between them culturally. There's a large chasm between them socially. As far as the rich man was concerned, there was a large chasm between them religiously. Think, you know, it's always it's always good when religiosity helps your prejudice. <laughs> you know, ugly people with sores, nasty people with sores. It's nice when your religion says you can't touch them. That helps. Then you can feel justified in your prejudice. There's a big chasm between rich and poor in the world we live in these days. But then Jesus reverses it and says there's an actual chasm here. Sorry, we can't cross this. Lazarus is here with me. I'm sorry, you're where you're at. and There's nothing I can do about it. And then he pleads one more time. Well, send Lazarus to my brothers at least and warn them. And Abraham says... You know, you think you think your brothers are going to care? Moses tried to tell them. The prophets tried to tell them. You think your brothers are going to care even if a dead man rises from the dead? Who do you think that's really talking about? <laughs> Sounds like Jesus to me. This is a great story, uh, and yet it's a haunting story. It's one of those stories that you kind of want to, you know, quickly get through and move on. It's one of those stories that kind of confronts you. I mean, it confronts you and me because we're not we're not a poor person begging at the gates with sores all over our bodies. We're clothed, we drove here, we have houses, we have stuff. And so where do we locate ourselves in the story, right? You know, we have to be the, the object here. We have to find ourselves. And how are we receiving this story? It's hard for me to read these kinds of stories and not, not feel some kind of condemnation or guilt. Of course, I, I suspect that's I suspect that's by design. And I wonder, I wonder about this story. I wonder if Jesus, I wonder if Jesus had got because Jesus went to dinner with Pharisees all the time. He was he was always going over to their houses because they loved to confront him and have him over because that made him feel you know edgy. <laughs> so they would have Jesus over for dinner, and I wonder if Jesus ran into this exact situation. Like, hey, Jesus, come over to my house. I have this wonderful house. We'll have a bunch of people over. I have the, I have the best. You'll love my wine cellar. It's going to be great. I have a great patio. I have beautiful wisteria. It's, you know, and, a, and all of this wonderful stuff. We'll have a pat, you know, it'll be great. Figs and whatnot. And this whole thing. And Jesus is like, oh, okay. So he comes on in. And, of course, there's a guy, maybe, at the, at the gate. And maybe a servant had to like kick him out of the way for Jesus. And maybe had to go in. And Jesus is kind of looking back going, okay. And he comes up with this story later. But that guy felt a little stupid. 
Thanks a lot, Jesus. And this story kind of comes directed to him a little bit. I guess Jesus is saying to me, he's probably saying to himself, that I need to pay attention to this guy instead of kicking him out of the way. I guess I need to pay attention to that. You know, we hear these stories, and, and you know, pastor, my, my pastor, Pastor Tim, from Seattle First Baptist Church, was in town this last week. And, um, you know, as pastors, this happens to people. People turn up in our, in our office quite a bit looking for, looking for help. Or, you know, looking for a handout, often. And it's kind of funny. We were joking around about how how this plays out sometimes because sometimes someone comes up with a new story <laughs> and if they have a good you know some if a story works right you'll hear it like several times a week you'll hear the story again because you know if it's a good story and it works and you get some money out of it pretty soon it gets passed around <laughs> and then you start hearing it over and over again and I joked around with Pastor Tim. I said, sometimes, you know, I say to him, I would love to say to someone, you know, I'll give you five bucks if I don't have to hear your story. You know, I'll give you five bucks if we can just all save, because I can tell your story is going to be like 20 minutes. Which <laughs> is an awful thing to say, and we joke about it. But we talk seriously, because quite frankly, you know, usually, usually the issue is... Uh, because he was describing to me a situation where someone had come, he was looking for something very specific. He was he wanted a tarp because in in Seattle, Tent City was not that far from the thing. And he went to go look for a tarp, and they he could he couldn't find a tarp that he thought he had. I mean, he, you know, Tim took like forty minutes out of his out of his way. He couldn't find the tarp. Couldn't find the tarp. And he, like me, we uh, we usually don't give people money. Uh, he came back and he said, I don't, I'm sorry, I don't have, I looked for the tarp. I, apparently we don't have that tarp. Uh, so I'm sorry, and he gave him a couple of suggestions. And the guy got rather angry and he, they always throw, you know, you call yourself a Christian, you, you know, you're supposed to love and all this. Stuff. You know, it becomes this thing and, you know, and it just gets, it gets a little crazy. Which happens, you know, it happens quite often, actually. <laughs> the folks, I mean, we're lucky. People don't want to make the hike up to First Baptist. <laughs> but uh, but uh, so we were kind of talking about that. And, the, you know, the real issue is that the, uh, we're, that, that the solution is not someone coming up here with a good story and me giving them 20 bucks or 5 bucks or 10 bucks is not going to solve anyone's problems that is not a solution to the issues we have here and i and i've taken to to telling folks that you know trying to help folks navigate the system that we have and i and i've i've said i've started saying to folks i'm not giving you i'm not giving you money but what i do do on your behalf is i I advocate on Capitol Hill and I work with the coalition of religious communities and I work with the food bank and I work with these places to try and make the system better and work 
and really try to find actual solutions to homelessness and stuff like that. I said, I'm frustrated with Band-Aids, and I really want to find actual solutions to problems. And I said, so, you know, I said, so the reason I'm not giving you money is because I give, I'm, I'm giving, I'm trying to find real solutions. So that's my thing. My point in bringing this up is that we, we Pastor Tim and I were wrestling with this guilt uh, or this struggle that you have of, of what is our obligation when we're faced with this incredible contrast of rich and poor, of abject poverty existing in, in the same space as overwhelming wealth, ridiculous wealth. What is our obligation in the midst of that? And, I, and I, I have to say, I struggle with it. I struggle with it. I struggle with every time I'm, I'm faced with a cardboard sign at the end of the freeway exit. I struggle with it every time I'm, uh, someone's at my desk. I struggle with it every time I, I'm down at Cork, uh, the Coalition of Religious Communities, or I'm up at the legislature. I struggle with it. Because it, it, because Jesus Christ has said we have an obligation to care for the poor. Jesus Christ has said the poor are blessed. Theirs is the kingdom of God. The, Jesus Christ has said over and over again in various and sundry ways, do not neglect to care after the poor. It's at the heart of what it means to be a follower of Christ. And in fact, he insisted when faced with a rich man who did everything right. Do you remember this story? Rich man came to Jesus, said, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? He said, you know what to do. Keep the commandments. And he said, I've done that. Oh, so this guy did everything right. Everything he was supposed to do. And Jesus said, well, one more thing you need to do is sell everything and give it to the poor. He didn't do it. And then you, and come follow me, and that's all you need to do. And he, he decided not to do that. He took a pass. But that was all he was lacking. He did everything else right, and he still was supposed to sell everything and give it to the poor. Oddly, he's the only person in all of Christendom who's ever been asked to do that. I think that's strange. <laughs> I think it's strange, and I think it's a. I think we've been, maybe haven't been listening, <laughs> and maybe we ought to wonder why he's the only one who's ever been asked to do that, <laughs> and maybe ask ourselves a little bit of that. So I think. So here's what I want to say. Is as I've looked at this, I think the main, the first issue, is that the rich man just ignored this guy, turned a blind eye, walked right past him, and never even noticed. Next thing you know, he's in hell. I think that's the first lesson we can walk away with. And I've got to say, it's so easy in the world we live in. It's so easy to isolate ourselves away from the things we do not want to see. And to isolate ourselves away from the things we do not want to hear. 
We can hide in our own echo chamber and not know about anything we don't want to know about. Am I right? In the kind of global community we live in. And if you don't want to see poverty, we can just keep moving it around. We can just keep hiding it away. We can just keep putting up facades. And we can just keep moving until we don't have to look at it anymore. We can put up gates. We can put up walls. So I think our first obligation is to open up our eyes to the reality of the world we live in. I'm not just talking about poverty. I'm talking about the world we live in. Where, well, just the realities of the world we live in. Where racism and, and what is real. What really causes war and what really causes just the pain, the ugliness. And, and to open our eyes to the pain and the ugliness in the world we live in. And to see it. And then ask ourselves, what can I really do? Or what can really help solve this? And allow Jesus to guide our steps, I guess. But it begins with opening our eyes to it. And not hiding ourselves away from it. But putting ourselves in places where we can see it. And really start to examine what causes it. What is it really about? I think in that moment, the chasm starts to shrink. And when you can... When the rich man pauses at the gate and looks Lazarus in the face, says, Lazarus, I see you haven't eaten. I have some extra. Why don't you have some of mine? I think things start to change. And whatever the modern equivalent of that is, And I know the world is more complex. And homelessness and poverty and all of that is more complex. But whatever the equivalent of that simple formula is in our world, Jesus seems to be insisting. A dead man who has risen, letting us know. Do that. Let us pray. Great and loving God, we hear this very challenging parable. And we recognize that of the two people, we're probably closer to the rich man than the Lazarus. We ask you to help us know how to deal with that in the world, the very complex world we live in. And we know that complexity brings excuses. Help us not to shy away from facing the issues of homelessness and poverty and despair and all the other issues that we can so easily turn off 
and hide away from. But may we be agents of your change. Lessening the chasm. Bridging that gulf. Knowing that you have made us agents of reconciliation and given us that ministry. We ask these things in the powerful name of Christ. Amen.